Till it's gone or you grown How to really love the land that you're on And be strong How to stand on the stone Not the sands that get blown I was shown How to root Proceed to grow seeds And fall and grow trees And fall to grow leaves We leaving folks grieve But it's easier to breathe now When what gets cut Can't touch what is deep down That's the forest that I explore in my heart Some of the places I was nourished We now furthest apart And when I'm hurting down in dirt I start to search in the dark For how the whole earth can flourish Be encouraged to start Right at home Okay, I, I mean, I can't find the word sometimes to say how um, appreciative I am of the hip-hop family tree that we have in Canada. Um, and my next guest um, exemplifies um, everything about that family tree. She might be the seed that grew the tree in a lot of ways. And the reason why I say that is because I'm one of those guys that, like, I get upset whenever i hear people in north america talk about who are their top five rappers and they always take lauren hill and they stick her in a female pile instead of just like putting her within like the because she's on my top five period and um my guest today um if i had to say who's the best female rapper in canadian history i would say her but i'd also be like fellas she's coming for you <laughs> because she's one of the greatest mcs in Canada, in Canadian history, as far as I'm concerned. And her name is Eternia. What's, What's up? up? Wow. I must <laughs> say it, thank you, James. I must say thank you. Don't. That's um thank never you. Expected, thank you. Never taken for granted. Always appreciated. And it I don't know if it fully sinks in, but I do appreciate it. Thank you. Well, listen, we 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 appreciate you. Everyone that I know um that knows hip hop is like, oh yeah, Eternia is just dope. And there's never really a segmentation between male and female. I think I want to ask you that question first, though, because um, because it exists, because I'm sure you've noticed it, obviously. Um, my favorite thing about you is um, is how um, confident you are. Um, and I and I met you years and years ago. It's got to be 20 years ago now. The first time I met you, I think I met you and you were with like, you were hanging out with fat Al, I think at, at a bar somewhere. And he was, fat remember Al, he used to drink wow. like, Sorry. do you remember when he used to, he used to drink the craziest thing. It was like Coke and milk or something. Well, not me, <laughs> the me bar. or him. Not you, not you, no, but no. fat Al there. Anyways, I was, I saw him at the bar and I was just like, and you were standing beside him and I was just like, dude, dude, who's that? <laughs> he's like and he introduced us and i didn't know that you were a rapper and i was just like i was like damn well done fat al he's like no 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 she's not mine <laughs> right because i was <laughs> congratulating him but then i was like um i found out that you could rhyme um and it was actually and, and it's funny because i had um I, nigel williams from the pocket dwellers told me yesterday when i was doing my my attorney a deep dive which i like to do whenever i have a guest and he was like he told me a story where he's like, dude, listen, like I was, uh, I'll, I'll tell you what he said. He, he's like, he, he said that it was during the comfort zone days. And um, someone said that there was like some radio show or something that, the, that he was invited to or a club. I don't quite remember. 
but he said um all he heard he walked in and he heard someone rhyming and he was nodding his head and he wasn't thinking about like oh this is a girl or whatever he's just like rhyming and he he said that he he was like he walked up to the stage and he looked up and he's like there he's like there she was with like a skirt on and she was like she was like bent down like a little bit and she was rhyming and he was just like in awe of of you when he was listening to your rhyme and i was thinking about those days because i was i wasn't really around but like i i used to go to certain shows sometimes but those days when you guys were grinding in like the early 2000s late 90s whatever it was the comfort zone silver dollar the open yep. mics um what was Reaper. that like? Like, like, because I always think that the journey is always more rewarding than the end, you know, than, than where you end up. I've never put it in those words, but I would in some ways agree with that. Um, I don't think I knew how special. I mean, in the moment, you're just going for it. And especially when you're young, like I often think about kids coming up now, like just really hungry and and um and just spitting whenever they can wherever they can what that looks like now is probably online more than in person and like i think at the time i took for granted how special um magical just uh amazing that time was in the toronto hip-hop scene uh you're right late 90s early 2000 and i kind of lost track of your question i'm just like i think in the in, at the time i was just I was very focused you know what i mean and now when i look back i'm like oh my goodness and and i think i was so focused that I was like this, like I always say, like a horse with shutters on. So there was a lot of the peripheral things around me, even in a room when I was spitting, let alone in the scene, that kind of faded. Like it's like I was just right. like this, you know what I'm saying? And so like sometimes people, sometimes and sometimes to my to my kind of regret, you know, like I wasn't as good keeping up with people and all these different beautiful connections that I had and nurtured because I was just so like laser focused on the prize at the time. Do you remember what age you were when you first picked up a pen? Oh, absolutely. So I, I was I was writing poems as early as I could remember. Writing, I was writing poems and songs. Like I mean, like Celine Dion love ballads. Like I mean, when I was a kid. Like this is just <laughs> what I don't know where that. Came from. Not... Then um, my brother. That would have provided you good structure, right? Good. Yes, like, seriously, exactly. it would have. Always writing yeah. poems, songs. Exactly, structure. Thank you. And then my brother introduced me to hip hop probably late. 80s and then early 90s is when i started writing my first raps and so i'll date myself here i was like probably around 12 you know yeah and um 12 13 i started writing my first raps and the rest was history i sounded like salt and pepper when i started to write by the way really corny raps like really i love salt and pepper but really corny raps I, you know what? Listen, we're, I don't know. Um, I'm 45, but, um, you know, I started like listening to hip hop in like the late eighties or something like that. I think all of us sounded like, like the women probably sounded like salt and pepper, but there's no way that there wasn't like a pile of guys that sounded like Houdini or Kumo D when they, when they right. started we were just, rhyming. Thank you, know? you. Like we were, I, this is what I knew of hip hop. You know what I mean? And, and then, um, and then uh, there's a baby here, by the way. Just yeah, yeah, I know. Beautiful baby. Beautiful. Um, six month old. What's the name? Kingston. Kingston. A true product of hip hop love because he is Mr. Yeah. Lift baby too. <laughs> so, yes, Kingston is a hip hop baby. But um, yeah, I was probably around 12, 13 when I started writing my first raps, to clarify, as opposed to songs, which I was writing before that. I remember the first mm. verse I ever wrote. I will not spit it for you. Come on. Really bad. Come on. You but, can't um... mention it and not do it. I'll do mine if you do yours. I'll do mine if you do yours. Oh, mine is like. Okay. Yeah. The first line. Was, I would, my, I'm my, so my... Ashamed, but it was like, uh, <laughs> it was like, uh, mm, boy, I knew the minute I laid eyes on you, I realized that I just have to devise a plan to make you mine. <laughs> that's all you get. That's all you get. <laughs> what? That's better than the rappers nowadays. Come on. <laughs> oh, man. It was about a boy, and I had a singing hook, too. I had a singing, like, R&B type hook. But, yeah. Oh, do you remember that? Like, um, what was that? The early 90s or to yeah. mid-90s? And it was always like, yo, you're going to get a female to sing the hook? Because <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all, that's all we wanted. Yeah. But then there was that whole school, too, like, depending on where you were, where, like, if you had R&B in your track, you weren't hip-hop. Like, it was like, I loved oh, hip-hop. Yeah. Together. but then there was like R&B beats hip hop like, not yeah yeah it's not you know real. it's not hard yeah. like that's some corny shit like it's so funny what we would get <laughs> hung up on that really doesn't matter at all now well it, what, what was funny about it is because like so I grew up in Whitby um 
chaos lived in my neighborhood. We didn't really like, we weren't really tight or anything like that. I probably only met him a few times. Um, you know, but I hung out with like Nigel and Sheldon from pocket dwellers and stuff. And, um, I should, I always forget to give a shout out to Jim Sharp, James LeBold, who did, who did the cuts and the beat for my intro. I'm sorry about that, Jim. I'll, I'll try to do that on a more regular basis. But, um, it was like I remember talking to like people that would have meetings with like Ivan Barry or Jay Productions and all that stuff. And it was always like there was this weird thing where they would encourage rappers in from Toronto to sound like New York rappers. Do you remember that? I mean, uh, I think when I think of Toronto, we all had somebody that we were emulating we that was probably New a New York, York rapper. All of us. Yeah. Like I, I think, think about cats that reminded me of Mob Deep. You know what I'm saying? I think about cats. Actually, no, there was some Detroit influences to this. Some really hard Detroit influences as well. Like obvious Detroit influences, like Slum Village. I don't think there's a place in the yeah. world that loves SB as much as Toronto. You know what I'm saying? Um, but but yeah. yeah, I think at one point, it's all that we knew. I think I was probably a culprit of that as well, except I ended up moving there. But but you like, I think yeah. we all did, didn't we? Didn't we all? <laughs> I think so. Like, I mean, um, it was... Uh... Well, I, you know, a, there was also a weird identity crisis thing happening because um, I used to get chased home sometimes when I was a little kid because I'd wear like a public enemy shirt and some fucking skinhead in Whitby would see me and be like, what, you know, the, remember the dudes that had the docks up to their knees with the white laces and shit? Oh, I and I'd have a fear of a, yeah, I'd have a fear of a Black Planet t-shirt on, you know? Yeah. And and I'd get like ridiculed for it. So then I was like, third base came out, and I was like, well, maybe I'm allowed to listen to these guys, you know? Like I, I didn't know what I was supposed to. Do. And then I was like, fuck all this. I I like Rakim. I like Big Daddy Kane. I like fucking like you know Nas. I like all that shit, you know. So I'm just gonna listen to that and not give a shit what people say. And I think I probably I don't think I bit Nas's style, but he inspired me so much. Like illmatic i'm i am one of those stereotypical hip-hop heads that i'm like there's illmatic and then there's everything else and the reason why i say that is because you could play that today for a person that doesn't know hip-hop and to them it would sound modern you know what i mean so, it's timeless agreed and and how prolific he still is to this day and how amazing he's sounding to this day and how hungry he's sounding to this day like uh you brought back a couple memories for me when you just share what you shared first of all i was i moved around a lot my whole life and so there were times when I was in small white towns, people that know Acton, people that know Georgetown, was not from there, would spend a year represent. there. Represent, yeah. I'm not representing, but. <laughs> but it's I worth was, the drive to Acton, come on, I've you know that. I've moved around so much that I was so not attached to where I was from geographically, but I was loving hip hop in these towns. And I was one of maybe five people in our high school. And, we're, and I wasn't in the city. And if I was in the city, maybe it would have been cool to like hip hop, but where I was, it wasn't. And we got made fun of, I mean, the whole point is, I mean, the W word and all that stupidness. And it's just like one of those things where I just remember looking at everybody and being like, respectfully, you don't matter to me. And 10 years from now, you're going to catch up. And they all did. Like, they were listening yeah. to Hole and Nirvana and Aerosmith. And yeah. then 10 years, they were in the club shouting Jay-Z lyrics. And I'm like, all of you followers, I paid my dues. <laughs> like, I like to in Canada when it wasn't cool. Yeah. Um, you're so literally tripping over my footsteps, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Right. Um, it was always cool in certain places, but it was definitely more of an underground. I almost felt it was like um, like this like secret password like phenomenon where it's like if you knew, you knew. And if you could drop certain names or knew of certain things, it's like all of a sudden you were family with this person that you just met two seconds previous because, oh, you know this too. And it wasn't on mainstream media that much. And, and for me, I realized that I learned a lot about hip hop artists by reading about them before I even heard them because I wasn't tuned into a lot of the radio stations. I didn't have cable television. So I'd buy a magazine like The Source and I'd read about Nas and then I'd hear the tracks that they're talking about after. Like it was, some of that would happen. It was really interesting. Do you remember how difficult it was to find hip hop? Back I mean, in the, like, yeah, go ahead. No, yes. That's I the do. question. No, yes, absolutely. So for me, it was funny. When I was around 13, I had a boy, a friend of mine at school, just a friend, shout out Jason Virgin, who always held me down. He would tape Much Music Rhapsody for me every day and serve me a VHS tape like once a week or whatever, once every two weeks. I didn't have cable television. I would live on these VHS tapes that he would give me, the magazines that I purchased. And then when I was around people, I, I think I wasn't like, you know, WBLK, we got that signal and we yeah, did get some Mastermind. The Power Move show. I didn't really know, like when I was really young, like 13, 14, I don't know if I even knew the college radio shows like when they were on. So for me, it was right. like, 
Yeah, and, and I was buying records from Columbia House. I would read about stuff in the source and then I'd buy it from Columbia House. What did you buy from Columbia House? Like Run oh, DMC, I guess, or so. Like I, all I the Def Jam of- stuff, right? No, not Def Jam. No, this is previous to that. So uh, Tribe Called Quest, I got from Columbia House. Oh, Latifah, really? Black Rain, I got from Columbia House. I got. Did you uh, like lip sync Ladies First in the Mirror? Did you like lip sync Ladies First in the Mirror and shit like that? Like, were no, you I like one of the. No? I used to lip sync Kumo D in the I, Mirror. I, yeah, you used to lip sync Kumo yeah. D. I was a salt and pepper <laughs> yeah. girl. I, I was definitely yeah, that's right. salt and pepper for sure. I should have been um, listening Ladies First. Yeah. <laughs> Ooh, Ladies First. I, I saw them live I always, in concert I thought that, Canada's Wonderland when I was 13. That was a big deal. My first concert was Canada's Wonderland as well, and it was what? Sisters of Mercy and Public Enemy. What? And it was yeah. it was the Public Enemy concert where Flav got stopped at the border. So it was just Chuck D ranting about how shitty our border control is, and then <laughs> that was it for like, it was like 30 minutes, you know? Um, yeah. Now... Your first, I have a, uh, I had a theory and then it was actually confirmed to be true later on. And I'm not trying to talk shit about chaos or anything like that, but I heard a whole bunch of stories and I came up with this theory that chaos suffered from stage fright. Um, there's a, oh. story, a famous story about him at the reverb where he was hiding under a pile of coats when, really? when they were trying to find him. To go, I and by the way, there. this is the most feminist podcast I've ever had starting now. And I, and I, <laughs> I support it to 100%. Um, I mean, and, um, and, and I'm just wondering child. if you ever felt, Hey, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, I'm just wondering if you ever actually, you know what, can I just say something? My wife used to be like, she was like a sprinkler. Like she was like the, the, the horn of plenty for breast milk. And I, my ex-girlfriend, I had this weird experience once where my ex-girlfriend was like, she, she had that condition where she couldn't produce any breast milk. So she came over one day and I handed her the frozen breast milk of my wife to my ex-girlfriend. And I was like, I don't have anything to say because this is just taking care of itself. So anyway, so, um, but did you ever have story. stage fright? Thank you very much. Thank you. I, I have zero memory of having stage fright ever in my life. Um, that doesn't mean that I've never felt it. I just don't, it's, I mean, I get a nice excited nerves, like the kind of nerves that like lights me up on fire and, and gives me that extra, mm-hmm. uh, whatever wind beneath my wings for the show. Uh, I get that kind of nervous energy. My tummy, I would definitely have some like TMI, like some tummy stuff. Like I might have to go to the bathroom yeah. before I go on stage, yeah. but it was a lot of people throw up. I don't throw up. We just leave it there. Uh, okay. but I, I, you know, funny tummy stuff, but, and that's not often, but I remember earlier on. Um, but no, I don't ever remember. I just love, love, love. You know, if I'm not rapping, I'm going to find some way. Like, it's actually a problem for me. Like, I, I'm just like, I just, yeah, I love it. It, it likes, it's, it's close. It's the closest thing to a meditative state I think I'm ever in is when I'm performing on stage. That's so amazing. That You know how, yeah. how ahead of the curve you are for a lot of performers that I know? Because a lot of performers that I know had to like, train themselves to not be nervous um really yeah no i started performing um, yeah i can't take and i can't take credit for it it was just the way i was born i guess but Mm -hmm. um it's it's i don't know like when people talk about being present and breathing exercises and meditating and all this business i'm like yeah no usually my brain's really full and it's only when i'm on stage that it just clears out and afterwards it's just i feel so clear have you ever had the opportunity to either work with or sit down and have a meaningful conversation with one of your heroes in hip hop? That's a good question. Yes, absolutely. Um, the first person that comes to mind is Rod Digga, just because we've had multiple connections um, over the years. She's been mm. really a tried and true mentor and friend that always shows up for me when I reach out to her. Uh, and every single time I talk to her, I'm just kind of like, I feel like this little nerdy geek girl that's like, <laughs> But I know that she doesn't treat me that way. Um, Bahamadia. I, I had a tour. We Be Girls was the name of the tour. It was in um, Europe. Uh, it was in 2006, 2007, 2008. I don't remember the year. Maybe 2008. And um, I was on tour with Bahamadia and Roxanne Chante. And I mean, like, we were in the car wow. together, driving from place to place, in the hotels together, on stage together. Invincible was on that tour and, and some other ladies as well. But yeah, Bahamadia and Roxanne Chante together in the tour van with me very small tour van uh for like a couple weeks and um 
a story. She's an historical figure. For those who don't know at home, Roxanne Chante is an historical figure uh, in hip hop history. You know, so yeah, that I must mean, have been crazy. Got a movie out about her. Just watch the movie, um, the, the the Hollywood yeah. movie. But but um, the stories, man, it was a lot of healing. A lot of like, we went deep like right away. Like I, I think it was Roxanne's way. Like we all kind of gathered in a hotel room on day one, and just kind of went really deep, and it, it and it just stayed there. And I left that tour feeling. I mean, it sounds cliche, but just a lot more um, comfortable in my own skin, empowered, and like I knew who I was and what I was doing and focused. And I wish we could have done that every year so I could have stayed, you know. Yeah. It's so funny, right? James, the older I get, you you list me being as confident. And Naja, I think yesterday was saying something about me being very confident performing. And the older I get, I just feel like the last 10 years of my life have just been like ego destruction, like just straight up ego oh. destruction. In the best of ways, uh, but but it's just like now I feel less confident than ever, and the twenty year old. It's almost like the not the ignorance, but the um, audacity of these like young kids that are just like I'm the best, and they really believe it. And I was one of people. Yeah. Thing. I was that 16, 17, 18, 19, 20 year old that was like, "Yo, I'll murk all of you," and I really believed it. And now it's like. But that was part of the cult. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I cut yeah. you off. Go ahead. No, no, no. It's just like I just think like wisdom you know wisdom discernment knowing that humility which is a beautiful thing and then also just not being in the game as thoroughly entrenched as i was then i think if i was thoroughly entrenched i'd feel different but now that i'm kind of like you know things are happening in hip-hop and i'm like huh like it just makes me feel a little less confident you know what i'm saying hi i'm steve yurko and i'm tara sands now available from maji media is our new podcast for kids flashback Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Yeah, I do know what you're saying. And it's also interesting because... like I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you say that, and and I'm wondering because I'm just thinking of this now. I don't know if it's actually true, but we grew up in an era where it was like ninety percent of the content was this like braggadocious stuff. Like it was, yeah. it was telling people that you are the, you know, that I'm dope, and I'm doper than you, and I'm I can rhyme circles around you. Yeah. And now it, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm not entrenched in the new shit too much. Um. But it doesn't feel like that's the vibe anymore. It feels like there's more attention to like bridging that gap between rap and pop and writing more songs than it is like telling everyone how fucking great you are. And maybe your evolution. I'm so out of it. Somebody will be like best new hip hop artist in like an award show and it'll sound like just some pop singing shit to me. And I'm like, how is this hip hop? I'm so confused. Like, I'm just literally like, I'm just confused. Like, this is a great song, but how is this a hip hop artist? I'm so confused. I feel like if I had a cane, I'd just, I'd just be shaking it all the time. Um, (laughs) Seriously, because I'm just one of those guys. I'm just like mumbling rappers. I don't understand why this exists. Like, you know, I just, there's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm Uzi Vert or whatever the fuck his name is. And I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it. I mean, we should not brag about this. Let's not talk about this anymore. I sound old, but (laughs) my bad. Let's just not go there. Okay. We won't go there. We'll leave those shitty rappers alone. Eternity. I would probably feel a lot more confident in the culture if I was more. I need to do something to get more in touch with what's going on now in the culture, for sure. I don't think you do, and I'll tell you why. I think that um, if you, if because you, you just said something that I think is important, which is like your evolution has um, d- helped you dismantle ego. I actually think that that's an asset because I don't think it is the braggadocious culture that it once was, and I think that the songwriting is it allows a little bit more flexibility. Like really, like especially male rappers, I would say, because it was like, it was all this tough guy talk all the time. Like, you know how many people, you know this, how many rappers did you know when you grew up were talking about gunplay 
but literally the only gun that they ever held was the one for Duck Hunt for Mario Brothers <laughs> in the Nintendo. Like, you know? It's interesting you say that because we tune in, one of the hip-hop things we still do regularly is we tune into Primo's Live from Headquarters, and it still mm. is all that. I mean, what he's playing, it still is all that. But that's his, you know, but, that's what he enjoys to yeah. listen to. Yeah. But, like, I grew up in the suburbs, and there were suburban kids that were talking gun talk all the time. And you know what? I remember uh, being, um, just as a practice, just to, like, write rhymes, listening to NWA, and then just being inspired to write 16 bars of complete fiction <laughs> that, that I would never have done. You know, like, I got the motherfucker cornered with my 12-gauge. I don't even know what a 12-gauge is when I was writing it. I just heard Easy e say it, you know? I found an old rhyme book, like really old, like probably one of my first rhyme books. And I used to think that I always kept it real. Like I'm like, yo, my whole life, my verses have just been 100% facts. <laughs> and I found this first rhyme book. And let me tell you, I was inclined to burn it. I didn't burn it, but I was inclined. <laughs> I was like, who is this person? And what are they saying? They don't even know. And it was just, yeah, it was, it was all types of languages. Yeah. It was crazy. Um, when did you move? Well, you moved to New York, right? Like, uh, how long ago was that now? Like, seven years ago or something? Or Oh, no, but it feels like that. No, I moved to New York in 2005, basically a month after It's Called Life oh, wow. came out. Yeah. So a month after Urbnet okay. dropped my first kind of... I had releases before that, but the first official in-stores joint. I moved to New York. Uh, I just graduated University of Ryerson, and I was there until 2013. So... You that's you moved to the mecca of hip hop. You were probably really like hungry still, right? I would imagine, <laughs> right? In those days, yeah. Essentially, my whole like I only was there like I was living, breathing, eating, shitting, sleeping. Like that's I was just there to like do do hip hop. You know what I'm saying? And be welcomed by the mecca. Yes. And how did that go? I, I, mean, I haven't talked to you about that. Oh yeah. my goodness! I how much time do you have? It was a success. I have, a, I have millions of hours for you, Eternia. <laughs> Thank you, James. A success is an understatement. It was like everyone there, including like the, you know, forefathers of hip hop, the 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 um, keepers of hip hop, you know, the gatekeepers, all that. Everybody just open arm, hand like, like just open arm to me. And I don't think it's because of me looking the way I looked. Although of course that made me stand out. It was literally because they recognize this person can really spit, like really spit. Like just as good as not better than everyone else we think can really spit. And so I found that just spitting opened all types of doors, whether it be the the classic radio shows or the stages or sharing stages with classic legends or um, yeah, any kind of media or show or anything. It was just like whoosh, wide open. I would argue way wider. It's not that Canada didn't show me love. Maybe Canada just wasn't in the position to do what New York did, but I felt more love in New York City than I did from Canada, although Canada did show me love. And um, I felt at home there. For me, I felt like a fish in water. I felt like I had finally, I was always really loud. And I was always, um, I was always, uh, I kind of said what was on my mind and was not polite. And so I didn't necessarily fit into the Canadian paradigm of things. But what was the Canadian paradigm of things? Like, I mean, Ivan Barry one year, I like to slag Ivan. Um, he's the one hip hop act that he signed was Tom Green, like that was our industry back then, and it was like, of course he didn't get any love from Canada. But it wasn't the people or the or the fans or the enthusiasts of hip hop. It was the labels. The labels were fucking lost, little lambs in the woods. They didn't know how to manage a hip hop artist. I don't think they didn't know what to do. They just would send them on the college tour with like Sloan and bare naked ladies and shit. You like? I think you you're know? absolutely correct. I think. Um... Canadian music, I, I don't know if it's still like this today, I think it is, but Canadian music when I was when I was doing things there was white male rock and roll. And if you were anything that didn't in any way relate to or resonate with that kind of audience, it was like, what do we do with you? I mean, I noticed Chaos sang and played the guitar. I noticed other people that would blow up would be kind of palatable in that market of I'm not rapping now, I'm singing and playing the guitar. I'm not mad at that. I think that Chaos was... Uh, <laughs> Um, extremely talented. I was a fan and, and so are everyone else that sings and plays the guitar. But I just remember being like, yo, I remember early on thinking the kind of rap I do, it's not going to work here. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just not yeah. going to work. So I'm like, where should I go? Well, I know it's going to work in New York. And it did. And to be frank, for many, many years, I kind of second guessed or regretted my decision to leave. It was my choice to leave New York. Um, 
for many years, I wondered if that was the wrong move, but, but to be frank, God took me down a different path and that was a God thing. But, um, yeah, New York just, and to this day, man, if I go, I go back regularly, I try to go back at least a couple times a year, two to five, two to four times a year. And yo, you'll walk through Queens, not necessarily Manhattan, which is like all about people that are new, new, new. But if you're yeah. in Queens, you will still think you're in the nineties. The yeah. only people bump, the only music people bump in their whip in Queens is like straight nineties classics that you'll hear Nas or you'll whatever else. And it's just beautiful, man. It's just like nobody in New York forgets. Unless you're like a new person in Manhattan, just like young and coming up from fresh behind the years. But in the boroughs, nobody forgets. You just feel like a time capsule. Like it's beautiful. Lyricist Lounge just celebrated their 30th anniversary. Um, 30 years. 20th anniversary. Yeah, I believe it was the 30th. Let me let I me let old. me not be wrong. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's a, I'm pretty sure it's the 30th. Because I was there for their 20th, I'm pretty sure. Was it it sounds right, now that I remember that I'm yeah, 45. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to be wrong with this. Like, it could be their 20th, and I was there for their 10th. But long story short, it was at um, Apollo Theater this time around. When I did it, it was LPR. And they had legends on the stage. And just watching the footage, I'm like, this is New York. They will always honor the people that came before. And it's just, uh, being welcomed there was... It's, it's actually, it was probably like kind of my main bucket list goal as an artist. It's just, I, it was never money. It was to be respected by the people that came before me and by my peers and by people that knew what hip hop really is. Yeah. You know I, mean? I, I, I've been in New York like three times and um, each time I had a really cool hip hop experience. I was 14. One time I went, my parents took a nap in the hotel room and I just got on a train and went to Brooklyn. <laughs> just wow. didn't know what I was oh, doing. Wow. I was 14 Dude. and, um, and I was wearing Ewings, the these red Ewings. Not good to do that. Now New York's pretty clean, but that would have been in the era where you probably didn't want to do that. I don't know how I survived, to be honest with you, because I was wearing, first of all, I was wearing red Ewings, and I thought that allowed me to do anything I wanted. I don't know. <laughs> right? Like, um, and, and I was wearing this blue shirt, and I got off some train. I don't know where I got off, but I know it was Brooklyn. And I went down these stairs, and there was basketball courts right on the bottom. And I love playing basketball. And like, so I went to the bottom and I got, and, and I'm, I go onto this basketball court and they wanted to play shirts and skins or whatever. And they, and they didn't pick me. I felt like Woody Harrelson and white man can't jump I'm sitting there doing calisthenics on the sides or some shit, you know? <laughs> and then, and then some guy had to leave. So he's like, all I hear is white boy, you going to play or what? And I was like, yeah, okay. And he's like, you're skins. And I'm like, sure. Oh, I was so embarrassed. I took off my shirt and I guess the dye from my shirt and my sweat made me my skin blue plus i was italian so i had a hairy chest <laughs> so, so they called me they they called me harry smurf and i didn't play well like I was, these guys were dunking and shit i was like i think i should go back to the waldorf now everybody and uh and i left but um yeah but i bought a big daddy cane shirt from a guy when i got off the train in in uh in manhattan um, and then the next time I went to New York, I went to the, uh, do you remember the, um, uh, fuck the wetlands? Of course. It was a famous club in New York, uh, yeah. for a long time and it's closed now. And, yeah. and we ended up going to, uh, the, the high times 25th anniversary party. And, um, oh, that's dope. and I was sitting and smoking a joint with, um, with the roots for like a half an hour. And I had no fucking roots? idea it was the roots. Yeah. Right, well, and when I left, they're know? like, they didn't, they I like, them they looked really ubiquitous, like except for Questlove. But everyone Quest, else in yeah. the roots, kind of like, how would you know? Black Thought, eh? How come he never makes anyone's top five? That's a good question. Why does he make anyone's to, top five? Isn't he starting to? We realize that he's. I hope like, so. He, he's consistently ridiculous and never ever wavers in being dope. I don't think I've ever heard anything he's done that I'm not like, wow. Yeah. Yeah. He, like he's actually more consistent than Nas, if you think about it. Um, what would you be doing if you never fell in love and pursued a hip hop career? I guess what I'm doing now, like I am now? literally living my other life now. Like the, life oh, like of, a domestic engineer, like you're a mom, like, yeah, is that domestic engineer, I like yeah. that. Um, yeah, what I'm doing now, most likely, uh, which is interesting. It's been like such a struggle for my ego and my identity, which tells me that I've Put, I've hinged my identity perhaps on flimsy things, but I always wanted to be, I always wanted to have a family, a nuclear family, uh, and to have children. And of course I waited, I did the music career thing. And for a long time, 
and 20 years, I'd say. And yeah, man. And then here I am with all these things that I always wished and hoped and prayed for, struggling with the fact that I'm not like Eternia, like, you know, hitting stages or whatever, or like, it's just really interesting. This is my altered life right now. This is it. Are you still like, are you still writing just for the joy of it? To be frank, James, I'm going to keep it 100 with you. I haven't, I have always written to deadlines, um, uh, not self-imposed deadlines, but like externally imposed deadlines. My whole life, my albums were created based on deadlines for grants, um, you know, for delivering projects. I've always been a very project homework oriented person, which makes me not like most artists. I think most artists hate deadlines and having to, but for me, it's the only thing that would keep me, it's like I needed to have that thing that I, I needed to, I'm an A type and I was always kind of like an overachiever in school. <laughs> so this was like the extension of the yeah. A type overachiever in school. It's like, now I need a teacher, but in this case, it's like the Ontario Arts Council or Toronto Arts Council or Canada Arts Council telling me, okay, you need to hand your assignment in. And my assignment is my <laughs> album. You know what I'm saying? Like, no joke. This has always yeah. been the way. So I don't think I've written verses just to write verses since I was a teenager, but I've always been wow. driven by um, having projects that I need to complete and, and, and having mm -hmm. some form of external something that I have to um, hold myself accountable to that helps me get projects done. Um, I'm going to play a video now to, and I'm going to give you a chance to like, uh, you'll have a couple minutes to maybe adjust or whatever to, um, because, and the reason why I'm playing this video, it's not very new. I think it's like eight years old is because the entire video is one shot of you taking the exact walk that I took every single morning when I lived above Kensington Mar market. I, it's, I, I was watching this video cause I did my deep dive and I'm like, at first I was like, I, I recognize this. What's and then when you turn the corner onto Kensington, I was just like, or Augusta, and I'm, I'm like, oh my god, this is the walk every single day. I would take Tonight, that walk. I would get, yeah, go ahead, please. No, I don't mean to cut you off. Sorry, I'm so sorry. No, I, no, I don't. Just want I, like, what? Watch yeah. this video closely. We shot this at like the sun had just come up. Like we started shooting this video at nighttime. I was, then, I was just gonna say because everything's closed. I'm like, this is like yeah. 5 a.m. You know, it's like, like literally yeah. the second the sun came up was that take. And if you look, when I turn the corner from the alley, if you look in the distant corner, you will see somebody like up rocking. There was somebody in the back, way far back at like four or five Get the fuck out of here. Up rocking to my video, like way far back. Just watch it when I turn the corner. <laughs> I hope it's me. That would be amazing. <laughs> Cause I totally would have forgot. I, I okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna let, what's that? I didn't catch it then. Was I he bald? That's amazing. I th th I lived on Spadina Circle, and so I used to cut through the alley, go down yeah. Robert Street, and then yep. head down. And that variety store on the top of Kensington—I don't know if you knew this—is the variety yeah. store in Half Baked. Yeah, and then and then you like yeah, and then I used to walk down there. I used to get the coffee at the Spanish guy in the corner of Kensington and Augusta. Yeah. And then I used to walk, and like if the Patty King was open, I'd get a patty. Like this was like this is a good literally life. where you I went a, all the time. You're not there anymore, but you had in that era a very good life. I mean, to live in the heart of Kensington. But I looked at oh, a house once to rent. Like it was like five different people living in this house, and I was going to rent a bedroom. And let me tell you that the bathroom floor was so threadbare that I could look down and see the people in the kitchen and they could look up at me. You know what they would see if they looked up? It was right in front of the yeah. toilet. The because, the, because their favorite rapper wears a skirt. You don't want to wear a skirt in that bathroom, right? Let me tell you. Know you. And I was just like, yo, people yeah. are really living like this. This floor is so threadbare right where the toilet is. That is crazy. So I'm going to I'm gonna let this play out and then uh, and then we'll come back. So like, if you have anything to do, do it now, okay? <laughs> All right. <laughs> Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. Am I okay? <laughs> no, I'm not okay.
up with this track in my head, I got the itch again I missed the bus cause I was bumping this, I won't pretend Been through a couple of my nine lives since we last met His Hope and Cole and Kendrick understand I got a vent I got a pen, I got a head full of convoluted cloudy days Let it rain, let it sting the conscience of those who went on inflicting pain Then pretended they were not to blame, see, I can name names But that be acting cavalry, that's not my lane, me I am not the victim, see, I am just in misery Laying down and catching fleas, it's my responsibility Life was on a spin cycle, down with God lifted me though So I feel guilty when I don't have grateful energy Oh Lord, I'm supposed to feel your love and feel fulfilled in theory But this hamster wheel has got me trapped and I'm sincerely weary of it all Insert dramatic pause Words don't move me, they used to, now all I hear is a God, don't let them get to me please I feel the war in my spirit I feel the devil whispering in your retreat Sweet, nothing's in my ear, I'm open Then I go out and pick the option that is self-destructive He fucking loves it, I got dudes in different country codes Pick up the phone, I'm packing now I'm not alone, but more alone than ever That's the path I'm on Feeling like those that compliment me never knew me And once they do, then they gone Show me a time I'm wrong Yeah, I pretty much got this figured out God's power works for some, for others It's just something cool to rap about so before you point your fingers, I got my own pointed at my dome that's on the trigger. Yeah, see you later. Yours is redundant. Okay, enjoy your life now. I'm cursing this verse is clearly regressing. Mother, forgive me, won't you? I didn't write the verse you want me to. Didn't get inspired by the Holy Ghost to make it something you would do. I let you down clearly. But if you had to cut me off in Jesus' name, then you would do it swiftly with no questions quickly. So I got nothing to lose and I ain't lost already. Abandonment is nothing new to me. I've been there many. Times before till it became a normal part of living Close the door on me, I'm climbing through that windowsill and grinning I wrote this all in the TVC while my thoughts were spinning Grandma praying that a faint flame he won't extinguish Well, I'm running out of options, might be sick of me I got a history of running backwards towards all my problems Don't think this track will solve them But still I had to write them like my life depended on them This is my final offering saying like <laughs> that could have been me coming home <laughs> like all cracked out Don't on ecstasy what year is this uh, of course i would 2013 do you know that okay but you, you might not know this i don't think i don't think i've ever shared this with you but like you know i i had a very bad drug problem for a lot of years right, right? Oh, so that could have been me <laughs> walking up from queen street walking out of some after hours near queen of spadina and just being like oh shit i hear hip-hop <laughs> uh, like I don't know. Like, can I see been. it? Like unpause it so we can see the guy moving. I feel the devil whisper. I have to go back a bit. Hold on. Yeah, he's right there. I see him though. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that would be hilarious. I wish we could. Dude. Can we? Can we just pretend it is if we don't know? But I'm saying. Five six and bald to me. I feel the devil whispering in your retreat suite. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Yeah, let's. I'm gonna. I'm. I'm just gonna tell people from now on that. Did you? Did you ever see that video from Eternity? Because I'm in that. I'm in that shit. I didn't get paid or nothing. Um, what I like about that, I talked to Nadja Caliber, as you know, um, yesterday. Um, he had some really awesome things to say about you. Sorry, go ahead. And. 
and, and I, I like this video and I and I like talking to him about the video that he made because I hate videos where people buy permits. I it, like yeah. it doesn't feel right to me. No, I don't <laughs> believe it, in that. I definitely don't believe in that. And the best videos are the ones done without permits. Yeah. Like really, they are like, the, like, look how great that video was. I don't know how oh many takes God. it. Can I, I don't know how many takes it that? took you. Can I give you some background? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. please do. So Alex Narvaez is the director of that video. He did a lot of work with um, George Strombo for many years, but just mm -hmm. before I think he was working with George or maybe it was around the time. Anyways, long story short, I think I ran into him like, oh, what's going on with this hair? I think I ran into him <laughs> a week or two previous. I had done this, I recorded this song in my basement. Um, like it was literally exactly how it sounded. I was listening to exactly what I say in the intro about listening to Kendrick and then I was inspired to write this and whatever and I just had it on my heart. And I was just like, yo, I got this like track that I just recorded like a week ago and I just feel like I wanna do a music video for it. And he was like, I'm in. We, we planned this whole thing in a week or less than a week. And we showed up there at three in the morning, two or three in the morning with all, everyone you see in the video was there and, and, and Shout out some people behind the scenes too, um, on top of Alex. And we shot, I don't know how many takes, but they were all one one takes, no editing. So yeah. all one, that was the idea is that it wouldn't be um, hard for him or like um, a lot of work for him after the fact. We just take what we like and call it a day. And that's what we did. And it was the last take. That was our favorite take. And that was when the sun came up. So we probably started shooting. We, sh we, sh we started shooting a little bit later than like three or four because we were missing a lens or missing somebody. So my girl had to drive all the way back. I was living in Rexdale at the time. I just moved back home from New York City, by the way. Just moved oh, back home, living in Rexdale. And she drove all the way back from Kensington to Rexdale to pick up this lens or this thing that we were missing. Came back, then we did it. And we probably did, however, how many takes? Alex would know. I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking like 10, but maybe 10 or 15. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's my favorite kind of videos. I like I like that Shad video too, uh, Rose Garden for the same yep. time. He did that far side thing with the backward stuff. Um, yeah, I just I, I enjoy um, because I've worked on music video sets as like a as like a PA bunch of times when I when George Vale <clears throat> used to, I used to write music videos and then work with George Vale, the director, just you know doing PA stuff. And um, I fucking hated the what's that. You've lived a very fascinating life. Uh, I guess so. Yeah, I've, I've, I'm my own worst enemy. I used to be my <laughs> own worst enemy. But I quit I quit drinking. I quit doing drugs. The only thing I do now is I smoke weed, uh, but mostly edibles because I don't like my lungs feeling awful. And uh, But I do shrooms like once or twice a month like because I like to go to outer space. <laughs> I just do. <laughs> it's fun. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, you know, and I actually... I, I want to bring something up and I hope it's okay. I'm going to do it as, as, as nicely and, and polite as I can, because um, we had a, a, like your sister and me had a very um, interesting um, connection, I guess you would say, like, I think it was a few years ago. I don't know if you, well, I have that. more than one sister, but you're referring to one of my sisters. Yes, I am. And I, and, and I, and, and I don't know if you recommended me to her, but her, her husband was in trouble with immigration. And I wrote something um, to help her find a lawyer. I think I might have even found the lawyer for her. I'm not sure. I can't remember. But I, but I wrote a communication so that they could have something to say to the press. And I don't think I had a big impact on what happened, but she seemed to think I did. And then um, we reconnected. No, no problem. Um, and then we reconnected, uh, I think it was like a year ago. Um, and then she passed away. And, you know, I, I was... I was kind of floored because I, I, there wasn't many people that were like in her life at that time. Um, and uh, I think I, I think I wanted to say to you face to face, first of all, that my condolences because I, it, like losing a sibling must be really, uh, you know, difficult. But do you want to say anything about her? Like, like, is there anything that you want to, you know, share about her? Because I, I thought that yeah. she was I, I, I know that she had troubles the same way that I kind of had troubles. But there was a yeah, there was a clear spirit about her, you know. Yeah. Um, I don't even know really where to begin, but it's, it's helpful that I just recently had a conversation with my other sister. I have a few sisters about, so I have like step siblings, half siblings are obviously all just siblings to me, but siblings that were raised in different homes. And then we came together and, and you're referring to uh, my stepsister who I was raised with since birth. Well, we were best friends for the first 10 years of our life, literally closest family friend ever, and then became sisters. So she was there when I was born. So she's my sister. Yeah. And, um, and her name is Beth. And, uh, 
she was always it was always an adventure being around her she always liked to tread dangerously she always liked to break rules and she uh was drawn to certain things like a moth to a flame and she was also like super witty and super funny and really articulate and really smart especially when it comes to communication and language um and just like she's the kind of person that you'd want to write like you'd want her to write like a bridget jones diary of her life which would be way more interesting than bridget jones diary she asked me to she asked me to yeah oh wow there you go like i used to always tell her like you need to publish something because she was just she was the kind of person that could make light of or witty of or joke about something super serious and it would just be this perfect blend of like wow that's hilarious and also you just brought a point home for me in a way that's so real now about this issue right Mm. and um she was my best friend growing up and then as adults we probably like we were obviously so close we were sisters but we we tread different paths as adults and then she um you know struggled with mental health and struggled with drug addiction and uh ultimately passed away by an overdose of i think it was fentanyl and um it, it, that was actually like a week before he was born so a week yeah. before he was born that's actually not when she passed she was discovered later but so she had passed before that but we discovered that she was discovered dead in her apartment alone a week before he was born and um and as you can see like i don't mind talking about it i think uh ultimately if i was going to say anything about it in this forum it would just be that the canadian government the ontario government our city of toronto i'm not blaming them for her death but i will say that they do not know the system is broken right now and when it comes to dealing with anybody that struggles with mental health how the hospitals deal with people with mental health how police deal with people with mental health um, she was, so the morning, the day that she overdosed and died, the day before she was admitted against her will, like somebody called, called on her because they could tell that she was in psychosis and she was sent to, um, a hospital and, uh, Humber, Humber, I think it was Humber River Valley, Humber hospital, one of those anyways. And they let her go and they let her go because legally they had to let her go because I guess she wasn't brandishing a knife, threatening to hurt them or herself. And so when you're mentally struggling in this country and unless you're like literally i'm going to kill you or i'm going to kill myself they people have rights and they're let go and she was still in psychosis of some form and went and overdosed and um died and i just think it was avoidable she was in the hospital like hours before she died and um and it wasn't the hospital's fault it's 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 the rules right now surrounding mental health like you basically have to be sane enough to say i need help and i want your help And I think one of the main rules of people who are suffering, especially from anything that's like paranoia, you know, um, is they're not going to be like, I trust you and I want your help with my mental health problem. Like nobody does that who's struggling, who's in psychosis or even just unwell. So there, and I know that what the Canadian government has done, I believe is like flip the scales like 180. So it used to be people with mental health had no rights at all, were hospitalized, were being given frontal lobotomies without consent. You know what I'm saying? So now they're like, okay, we must make sure that, but but there's no room for families and friends to help or intervene um, due yeah. to like the privacy laws and the rules of hospitals in this country. So I just think it was avoidable. Um, she was living in her own kind of version of hell. And so in a way it might've been a mercy that um, we, some, a friend of ours told us that like when you overdose on fentanyl, it's like kind of just like going to sleep. And so in a way it might've been a mercy for her because she was in a life of personal hell inside of her head. Yeah. But I also think that the system failed and I think the system fails people every single day. Yeah. Um, it's one of those things that, um, by the way, I learned a, a, a tough lesson from her death and um, I'm not going to, to be, you know, it, it's not, well, I'll just say it. I, she reached out to me a couple of days before she died and, and I didn't get back to her and she was asking me for help. Um, you know, the lesson probably is that if someone has a mental health issue, you should, you should help if they're asking for it. So, yeah. Anyways. Um, uh, yeah. I just want to tell you that you're not the only one and it's not your fault. And what her mother told me when I said something similar, like, Hey, like she'd reach out to me sometimes and I wouldn't read back right away or I wouldn't, you know, and what her mother said to me is in order to be helped, you have to want like be open to the help and and she was definitely 
uh, reaching out to people and wanting to connect to people and, and admired you uh, and re- admired me and reached out to me a lot. But I think that there were certain things that, um, uh, yeah, that none of us, family, friends, loved ones. Um, yeah, it's not your fault is all I'm trying to say. Oh, thank you. Um, but um, yeah, she had a, she had a, she had a really interesting spark. Um, you did. It, it surprised me. I'm going to pivot a little bit here because I don't want to ruin this podcast with my uh, with my emotions. But like, I appreciate um, you that. Oh, no problem. But uh, but Rhode Island, <laughs> the mecca of something. <laughs> oh no! Right? How, did you, something. how did you end Yo, up there? And what's it like there? Quite as kept DJ Eclipse is from Rhode Island. I didn't even know that, and I knew him for years. I knew him for years. I didn't even know that until I oh, read really? his bio. So, yeah. You know, probably think Eclipse is from New York City. Um, no, there's a lot of dope hip hop in Rhode Island, but we're in, uh, yeah, I'm presently broadcasting to you live from Rhode Island. Um, I'm still a Canadian citizen. My permanent residence is still in Toronto, but, um, my husband is here and, uh, his business is here. So, uh, my husband is an MC hip hop artist, Mr. Lift. He also does real estate and he's extremely passionate about it. And by does, I mean, he's an investor. Um, yep. and Rhode Island was just a great market to invest in, uh, virtually untapped, uh, and, you know, we're talking about buying multi-units, like three, four, five, six units for, you know, two to $400,000 at the time they started investing. It's insane. Um, wow. And so we're here and we, we, we kind of uh, live both places. I still have a place in Toronto as well. And, um, and we're just figuring it all out. But yeah, right now I'm in Rhode Island. Are, is there a chance that Eternia will make her triumphant return back to Kanakistan or what? <laughs> in Canada yeah Canada yeah <laughs> well I mean I was hoping my triumphant return was going to be the free album that dropped uh six months ago uh yeah. but but um but I'm always I'm often not always but I'm often in Canada I'm there quiet as kept I'm there it's just the bubble that we've been in since having kids is, is a serious bubble yeah um and now by the way I'm just going to let all the pe- all the people that are commenting on the chat overlay i believe that um eternia has her full screen on so she can't see it but there's a lot oh, of people I, saying what's oh, up jackie kentfield and nigel williams was up there there's a whole bunch oh, of people dope. saying what's up to you yeah Hello, um someone's saying Hello, what's up jackie. king i don't know i can't remember who said that. jackie kentfield said that hey king how's it going Lane. so yeah you got oh, uh, a lot of people Paul. watching what's up everybody cool yeah um Listen, I, I, I love talking to you. I love, I, you know, our paths have only crossed, let, let's just be honest, our, our paths have probably crossed only a handful of times in our lives, but I feel like I knew you anyways, like from the moment that I met you. Um, you're one of my favorite rappers uh, of all time, again, male or female. Um, you're, you're dope, you're talented, and I love the fact that you're really comfortable right now being a mom and just and hanging out and raising kids and just, uh, you know, your spiritual life seems to be healthy. Um, and, and yeah, I'm, I'm proud of you. I am. You know what? Uh, the feeling is mutual. First of all, by the way, James, I'm just going full screen again. It just helps me to feel like I'm just yeah. with you. Um, <laughs> but shout out to everybody that's commenting. I didn't even know you were there. So thank you. Special shout out to Jackie, by the way, who is the tried and true supporter friend forever. Um, yeah, no, the feeling is mutual, James. I didn't feel like I've only seen you a handful of times. It's definitely just been like, yo, that's a head in the scene that's been around since the inception of whenever I was around and. We didn't talk about comfort zone, but there was that. And then being one of your favorite rappers, period, is a huge honor that I don't, I'm not like, yeah, of course I am. No, like whenever I hear that, I'm like, really? So thank you I for saying to, that. It's always a I used to I tell don't... cats, I used to tell MCs that we're like really young. I'm like, you need, you need to like work. Like, cause I knew Nigel was like my hip hop mentor. Like when I was young, you know, and like, and like it, it was funny because um, I'm a better rapper now than I was when I was in my twenties, like, because I just write all the time. But, the, but I used to tell cats, you need to, oh, no. you need to find a cadence, like, like Eternia, like, you know, your cadence was always just to me, just like, like it was so powerful and punched right at the right level. And it was always really dope. So, um, yeah, I was, I, I was, I, I was happy that I knew you as a person. So, um, yeah. And you've always been ahead in the scene. Like to me, before being a journalist, you've always just been ahead, you know what I'm saying? And that's. Well. That's probably one of the highest compliments that you can be paid. Like, you know, I appreciate um, that. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, like we need, we need people like you with your skill set that, that understand and that know. And, and I know that other people exist like that, but you're special. So the, the fact that you exist and you're doing this right now and you're like, yo, I'm back, blackballed. 
I'm really honored and it means a lot to me that I'm, it was just so funny. I'm like, man, I'm getting more like people hit me up to talk now than when the record came out. And I'm like, I just have to surrender, man. <laughs> the time is for everything. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, well, if I, really if I had the wherewithal to have a podcast, um, then <laughs> that, like, yeah, you know, I thought it would be all politics, like blackball, blackball media is the companies because I was like, fucking hate media. Let's blackball them. Blah, blah, blah. Like, and then I was like, and the more I got comfortable behind the mic in this scenario, I was like, fuck this. I'm just going to interview rappers like, like, like along with the media people and the pol politicians, which I still will do. But, you know. I, I, I've had Shad on, I've had um, Fat Al on, I had Naja on. I'm going to see That's if I can get the Pocket Dwellers on. I have, I'm, I think I, I'm going to just be honest. I think I blew it with R.A. the Rugged Man because he was all set to come on. And then I made a joke, but I forgot that like, especially Americans, they don't really understand sarcasm when you type it, you know? So I was just like, yeah, man, I can move a couple of slots if you need some more time to figure it out, you know, dot, 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 because you, you, uh, you know, you rappers are always so high maintenance. And then I said something else and he was like, question mark, question mark, question mark. And I was, and that was the last thing he said to me. And I'm like, fuck, <laughs> I totally blew it. <laughs> so, but well, yeah. I mean, he's an emotional guy too. Rappers are probably the most emotional people I know. So don't put it on yourself. I won't. I'll try my best, but listen, I, I would love to have you back. Um, King, what's up? The King is, King is going to be a rapper. I'm imagining he's the offspring of two rappers. I'll tell you right? this, this, this baby has bass in his voice already. And Liff go. and I joke that he got that from me. He didn't get that from Liff. The bass well, of his voice saying. comes from me. You and, need and, like, literally, He'll cadence. be like making baby noises and he'll be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, how are you six months and you have bass in your voice? Like, like coming from the diaphragm. Like he's like, like he's like literally talking shit about you. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm like, you're a baby. Like, well, we'll see. well I, I can't wait to see uh you know what what your seed grows up into. But um it was great having you on. And uh yeah, let's keep in touch. Seriously. Thank you. I feel like we had just gotten getting we were just getting started and just warming up. So I'm down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I look forward to seeing all that you do and hopefully we can do a round two at some point. I appreciate that. That's eternity, everybody. And uh, and yeah, thank you again. Um, right. When uh, I'm sorry about the emotional stuff. That wasn't <laughs> that wasn't intended. Um, but listen, uh, she she is like one of the diamonds in, in the Canadian music industry. And you know what kind of makes me a little bit upset? is that um it's often the people that i know that have like the truckloads of talent that um it, it, like they didn't get to where i was hoping they would get you know like which is which is like stardom um and that does that's not taking away anything from her that's taking shit away from the industry that doesn't know how to manage talent so i just want to give uh another big thanks to eternia um we have uh, a ridiculous um, amount of things happening on blackball coming up on the 24th i'll be interviewing linwood barkley he's best-selling canadian author he's sold like six million books um i'm also going to have another writer on the 16th mark creedon i have journalist max fawcett on the 17th <laughs> and uh believe it or not i have the king of fishing dave mercer <laughs> on uh on the 26th and the reason why i have him is because i went to elementary school with him and then one day, like 10 years ago, I'm like, I'm, I'm, I don't know where I was, what I was doing, but, uh, I, I saw the, I, I think it was like eight years ago and it was Facebook and it's like Dave Mercer, the King of fishing. And I was like, what? I, I I've known that guy since I was seven. So that's going to be interesting. And, uh, we're going to try to have as many, um, hip hop artists as we can, uh, over the next couple of months too. It's going to be a big summer. Um, and anyways, I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, thanks again to Eternia and we will talk Next time on Black Ball. Thanks, everybody. Black Ball. Black, black, black Ball. Black, 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 black Ball. Black, 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 black Ball. Come on, let's go to the Blue Hotel. I want to live at the Blue Hotel. The podcast that goes everywhere the imagination dares. It's for the open-minded, the pleasure seeker. It's Jeff Woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality, theme-based with special guests, the Blue Hotel Hotline, and every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story. Get a room and listen.
listen in at the Blue Hotel. Begins Friday, September 23rd. It is your favorite girl. That's right. It's the Ali Mars, the one and the only. Everyone else just ain't me. I am the host of Welcome to Mars, a lifestyle podcast where nothing is off the table. I have come a long way from sex and dating and have transformed the new vibe to all things lifestyle. We still talk sex, but I'm more interested in the journey, where people have come from, how they made it, and where they're going. Subscribe or follow to a brand new look and a brand new era. Welcome to Mars. Subscribe or follow on Apple, Spotify, Google, or at theallymars.com. Because even with the new look, I'm still that same bitch you love to hate.